Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 2 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. In this season, we want to focus on practical discussions about unity within the Stone Campbell movement and beyond. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one so that the world may know. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread, and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Welcome to another Common Ground Unity podcast. I'm Kevin Witham, and I'm here with my co-host, Tina Bruner. Uh, we're both on opposite sides of the country as we're coming back to uh, the subject we were talking about last week, the book we were talking about last week, and our guest, Jack Reese. Um, Jack is back with us today. He is the author of At the Blue Hole, Elegy for a Church on the Edge, Erdman's Publishing. I encouraged you last week to get a copy. If you didn't do that right away, you need to stop the podcast and go online and get a copy. I think this is one of the most important books in my recent memory for important conversations that need to be had in our churches. So, uh, Jack, good to have you back with us today. By the way, before I, I have you talk, Jack, just let me give you a brief introduction for maybe those of you that missed last week. By the way, if you missed last week, go back and listen. Uh, you need to hear the things that Jack had to say last week and then what he's saying this week. He is in congregational ministry right now as an executive minister at Northside uh, Church of Christ in San Antonio. Um, many of you perhaps had him as students when he was a professor at Abilene Christian University. Not only was he a professor there, but he was also dean of the College of Biblical Studies and the Graduate School of Theology uh, there at ACU. Um, he also served in Dallas, Texas as president and CEO of the Foundation for Community Empowerment, where he uh, helped address issues of poverty and race with others that he served alongside with. He's written several other books. Um, Jack, Glad to have you back with us. Thank you for rejoining us again for more conversation. Good to be here. Good to see both you, uh, Kevin, and you, Tina. It's good, uh, good to be with you again. Well, I'm excited uh, for this week because it's, um, I, I feel like that this week we're going to kind of look forward. In Chapter 5, uh, it's titled Resources from the Blue Hole. And the first resource that you talk about is titled Unity as the Wellspring of Grace. Could you speak to us about your thoughts here and also expound on how truth and reconciliation is relevant to discussion? There's another piece that at some point during this conversation, I'd love for you to touch on, and that's the issue of repentance. Yeah, I, I will I will do so as I can. Uh, those are all uh, interconnected, as, as you know. You know, I tried in, in the last chapter of, of the book to pull together uh, these resources, some of which 
um, churches and, and the Stone Campbell movement might know many of them that they might not know that that could be useful to us uh, as we reimagine what church might be like, how we can be healthier congregations and, and better followers of, of Jesus. But the heart of that for the Stone Campbell movement is a commitment to, uh, to, to unity. And and in, in writing this little section, my heart uh, kind of went uh, to the, the things that happened in South Africa after uh, the awful period of, uh, of apartheid. Um, I had been in in South Africa, uh, shortly after uh, apartheid was was lifted, and and saw the the pain and the and the scars of what it is like to divide your people according to, uh, to, to, to skin color, and and that that country uh, during those awful years went through a period that they called a truth and reconciliation. Uh, Desmond Tutu, who died not uh, so long ago, among others, kind of led that 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 process, and and both pieces of that were 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 crucial. Um, uh, reconciliation without truth is is hollow. Uh, uh, telling the truth without seeking reconciliation is is bruising and scarring and and. And, and deadly, uh, it, it, it requires both. And so uh, people in government and people in education and, and, and other institutions within the country would sit down in public sessions in which they told the truth about what they had done and how it had hurt people and said, I'm sorry and sought uh, reconciliation uh, with them. I think think it's going to require something like that in our day if we're going to have any commitment to to the union of churches in the midst of all of our disagreements. Uh, And some of that might be, I'm I'm thinking within the Stone Campbell uh, uh, heritage, uh, among uh, Christian churches and disciples of Christ and, and churches of Christ in all their various uh, iterations and, and, and forms, there are apologies to make. There, there are stands we took that were actually hurtful. Uh, there are ways that we can come together um, uh, and, and be a, a united people of some sort, if not organizationally, at, at least in terms of our ministries and our discipleship and, and, and our fundamental uh, commitments. But we can't do that until we tell the truth first to each other. Um, you know, I come from um, Churches of Christ, um, what, what some of the movement would call acapella Churches of Christ. That's a, that's a mixed bag. Acapella doesn't always... Uh, uh, describe uh, anymore uh, th- those churches. I think we have some apologies to make. We were the ones who walked away. Our, our people were. Uh, and I think some of that needs to be said and, and some of that needs to be um, to be spoken. But I'm also thinking of the kind of unity that is lacking in in the midst of our own congregations 
Um, we've, we, we're still in the last throes, but we've come out, hopefully, uh, of the worst part of a, of a pandemic that did not show the best side of human nature in our, in our nation and in some of our churches. Um, I mean, I, 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 I not just know of, I witnessed uh, arguments in the foyer about masks and the arguments were, were harsh and bitter. Um, that's not a doctrinal matter, but it is a, a heart matter. However, one saw the place or purpose of, of, of masks is not about masks that about it's about discipleship at some level there are ways that people can disagree on matters of substance and um and confess that we have not spoken well and acted rightly that our actions and words have been have been divisive and damaging uh, to others, um, having conversations in which we can tell enough truth about ourselves that we can admit to others. And maybe for some of us, what we most need to hear is our own brokenness. Um, and to be able to say, I thought I was right, but I might not be right. I'm pretty convinced I'm right, but I'm, I may be wrong. Um, there are ways of, of getting at, you know, truth and reconciliation because both parts are, are critical, I think, for, uh, for unity. And, and maybe that's at least a, a piece of what the repentance is. Um, the repentance is being able to share uh, honestly to other people. Uh, I was wrong. I shouldn't have. Uh, my fault. And, and that willingness to admit wrong uh, is a critical piece of the unity uh, that we seek. And maybe why unity is so uncommon, because humans have a hard time admitting we are wrong. Uh, Christians filled with the Spirit hopefully have an easier time because Spirit-filled people uh, choose a different way. Jack, let's talk a little bit about restoration. In, in, in the book, by the way, to our listeners, chapter 5 is a call from, from Jack as the author for us, you know, not to go get a one-size-fits-all for our churches, um, but, but to look at capacities and, and resources that are already ours, um, and, and out of those uh, start to reframe our future. So w one of those is this idea of restoration. And as a part of the resource package you offer, you talk about restoration and life and reframing the way we think about restoration. The, the two ideas of restoration and unity became at odds in some ways. And you describe that well and lay out the reasons for that in the book. But our, our thinking about restoration often has to do with going back to a golden age of the church, restoring the primitive church. You talk about nostalgia. And yet then you talk about restoration in a whole new, different light. Can you 
talk about these concepts and uh, talk maybe a little bit about the tension between those ideas of unity and restoration and then how we might uh, rethink the idea of restoration? You know, from the very uh, earliest days of the movement, those, uh, those notions were in tension uh, with one another, unity and, and, and restoration. Um, the movement began as a unity movement, period. Uh, restoration was the means to unity. The way that that the early leaders thought the church could be restored is through, but uh, would be united is through going back to to scripture and finding out what 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 scripture said. But restoration was not the goal. Unity was uh, uh, was the goal. Uh, there were a number of articles uh, in the 1820s that uh, Alexander Campbell wrote uh, uh, on restoring the ancient order. Um, and he wasn't trying to give the whole gospel there. He was just trying to talk about some uh, some of the external matters uh, of, of, of ways that, that, that churches could be more faithful uh, to Scripture. Um, but he did focus mostly on the externals, uh, not uh, kind of core doctrine, not death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, not doctrine of God, but the nature of the church and baptism and Lord's Supper and uh, elders and and worship and 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 that sort of thing, and so there was from the beginning that kind of that kind of instinct to to pull from those as the badge of what a church should be. That's what a church should look like if you restore all of those uh, things. And so somewhere um, uh, in the late nineteenth century, and certainly in Churches of Christ in the twentieth century, the movement ceased being a, a unity movement and became a restoration movement only. Uh, I think the problem is that, that the focus has been on, on the wrong things. It has been primarily on, uh, on the externals. And, and we've not been particularly uh, good at it. Uh, I, I, I tell the story of a, of, of a beautiful and precious vase that we uh, that we have in our house that Lisa and I and I have and and uh, a workman inadvertently broke it and and we took it down to a restorer a pottery restorer to ask him to restore the the vase and he brought it it was beautiful you can't tell that it was ever broken but if if we'd gone to pick up the vase and it had been you know in a dozen uh, shards if the if the vase were broken we would say the restorer is not very good at restoration you need to be in another business. The restoration movement has broken up into dozens of little pieces. If restoration was our goal, we're not very good at it. Uh, restoration as the end rather than a means uh, is never going to work. And if we focus primarily on restoration rather on, on those gospel matters uh, that lie behind it, uh, including uh, unity, uh, I think we'll continue being the, the kind of church that, uh, uh, that, that we have been. Um, Paul Hebert talks about the difference between bounded set and centered set. You know, bounded set are those, those issues around the edge uh, of, of folks that are focused on the boundary, on the fence line, determining who's in and who's out, uh, 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 are mostly people who who live in a black and white world who are constantly building fences between themselves and others. A centered set folks are folks uh, that will go to the middle like an oasis 
where the water is, where the source is. Uh, being a centered set people, restoring the center, restoring grace, uh, restoring the death and resurrection of Jesus as the, as the heart of the, 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 the matter, uh, uh, restoring fellowship, restoring community, uh, restoring love for one, one another in the midst of, of differences. They're, they're uh, restoring shalom as the heart of, of, of the church. That's the oasis. Um, I, I am tired of being at the fence line, uh, guarding the fence against someone who might cross over and making sure that folks that are on the other side know that they're, they're not in. I, I want to spend the rest of my life racing to the middle where Jesus is. I, I, I want the, the life stream that's in the middle and let God worry about all the other parts. That's the kind of restoration that I think our churches need, that I need in my own heart. And it sounds like that when, like we, what you just described, the restoration, the example or the product is unity. Like when we are at the center. And so I think that is a really beautiful picture uh, and a way that we can look at ourselves and see, are we tending the fence or mm. are we moving toward the middle? Yeah. There's lots of people who in our movement um, can easily like label and dismiss others from different streams or within their own stream as we're unequally yoked. They're not, we don't belong together, things like that. But I, I love the imagery of of moving toward the center where Jesus is and not tending the, the fence and letting Jesus work that out. Yeah, and we saw that in, uh, in the beginning of our uh, uh, family story when uh, Stone Churches and Campbell Churches figured out a way to come together in the midst of all their differences. Um, they decided that we can continue to talk about our differences, debate our differences, uh, make different choices at different congregations, but we are going to be united uh, because we are identifying with Jesus as the center of, of things. That, that's our story at our best. We still, we still know that story. That story is still alive in our hearts somewhere. Jack, one of the uh, resources that you describe, and, and we won't touch on all of them. You got to buy the book, folks. To uh, and, and by the way, Jack's not on to sell books. I'm trying to sell that book because I want you to read it. The the, the resources are terrific, and one uh, in particular that you talk about is an ear for harmony. So those of us who have a history and experience in a cappella congregations. Um, we practiced a form of singing that requires our listening to one another for good harmony to happen. I, I don't know if your childhood was like mine, but I remember, you know, that fifth Sunday night service where we'd break everybody up into all their parts across the con congregation and learn how to sing soprano, tenor, bass, wherever your part landed, you'd get with that group. And we had to listen to each other for good harmony to happen. So while in the book, you're not making a case for acapella singing per se, you make a case for tapping a discipline that should be well-formed in us that have that history, the, the capacity and the practice of listening. Um, what is it in our movement that has made us hesitant or even fearful to listen 
to one another, especially when that other person has a different thought or idea. And, and what do you hope will come from us being better listeners? Why is this so important at this particular time in our, our movement? Well, I grew up in a similar kind of church, um, Kevin. Um, we all learned to sing parts. You know, I, I, I grew up as a little boy singing uh, alto. And then when my voice began to change, I could sing tenor. And then eventually I could sing bass and everyone read music. And we filled our schools with, with, uh, with all the musicians because we cared about uh, those things. But we also were taught that anyone who did it differently uh, were not being obedient to God and, and therefore uh, were not a part of uh, God's kingdom, God's, uh, God's uh, children, which was itself uh, uh, deadly and, um, and ungodly in so many ways. Um, the first time I really thought of, of, of this uh, was in a conversation with, uh, with my friend Pat Kiefert. Um, Dr. Kiefert was a longtime professor at Luther Seminary in, in St. Paul, Minnesota, and as a, as a national, international missional leader. And he loves, he loves worshiping with Churches of Christ. Um, he's been involved with a number of Churches of Christ over the years uh, in trying to help churches become more more uh, missional, more like a mission point than a uh, than a uh, a chapel in our communities, and he loves to 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 sing with us. and And um, he said to me one time, "You guys of all people uh, ought to be the most harmonious group of Christians in the world." Because you practice harmony every week, and and I had to I had to stop and and ask him because I'm not I wasn't sure what he meant, and he said this is a spiritual discipline for you all. You practice harmony every week to find your pitch, to find the volume. Uh, you all have to listen to each other. You ought to be the most harmonious people in the world, and of course, that's not why we. We're singing a cappella. Nor did we ever, in in my knowledge, ever make the application, not in my presence, uh, that our listening to one another in our singing ought to be creating a, a kind of Christian that we were practicing a spiritual discipline uh, together. Whether or not uh, singing is a cappella or accompanied, is not the point. We can, in all circumstances, practice the spiritual discipline of, of listening uh, uh, to one another. Um, I don't know all the reasons why that didn't become uh, easily uh, for, for us. I think our singing in Church of Christ probably softened our hard edge and, and moderated a sometimes harsh theology. I'm grateful for our singing, um, but there was too much emphasis on being right, uh, too much emphasis in expanding our kingdom, uh, which meant you know, bringing folks in from other churches, the wrong churches, and coming in over to the right church. Um, and when we began to lose that, as was inevitable, uh, I, I think we had nothing to replace it. Um, uh, 
we we have an opportunity to to reimagine uh, church not as the ones who have everything right, uh, but as the ones who are committed to to loving and serving one another even in the midst of of, of difficult uh, uh, disagreements, even even in the midst of a world that is that spurns uh, uh, diversity, that would rather live in neighborhoods only with people like ourselves. Uh, we could choose to be that kind of church because it's the kind of church that God has called us uh, to be. We, we have peacemaking and harmony in our DNA if we would if we would learn to use it as a spiritual discipline uh, rather than a than a sledgehammer. Yeah, that brings up um, something that was really interesting to me, and that was Dr. John C. Stevens' inaugural address at Aveline where he said, everyone can know our basic commitment, but I hope that people will also realize that there are no closed bonds and no off-limits subjects on this campus. We can study, and I hope with a fair and reasonable approach, even those viewpoints which might not be in agreement with our basic presuppositions. And so what what about that? Um, When you look at today, it seems like, like I was just taken aback at, like that someone would like welcome a difference of opinion to to be discussed even if it came into the conversation as being something that they already would have an assumption that they opposed like where do you see that spirit now or why do you think that having that spirit is important now yeah, uh, what I didn't know at the time, I was a I was a freshman uh, at at uh, Abilene Christian when uh, Dr. John made that that uh, speech, and you know the line uh, I heard quoted uh, during my years there, and pretty much every year afterwards, and I'm I'm assuming uh, uh, is still a part of the the life of the campus. Uh, in that speech, he says there are no subject on this earth or in outer space or in the metaphysical realm, which we cannot study on the campus of a Christian institution of higher learning. What I didn't know was how um, connected to the legacy and heritage of the Stone Campbell movement that commitment was. Um, th- Churches of Christ, Christian churches, disciples of Christ, uh, in this this large, complex movement, uh, became the kind of people that we were uh, in in the uh, the heady years of uh, of the Enlightenment, uh, the exaltation of reason and of and of learning, and and in our movement, we cared about learning. We were committed to learning. We started schools. We were constantly learning. Campbell wanted all members to be able to read Greek and translations to be done uh, frequently so that we're constantly thinking and rethinking and learning. And, and, and that's a part of who we were. James Garfield, who has become uh, a, a kind of hero in many ways, uh, Garfield, uh, who became president of uh, Western Reserve Eclectic, uh, which became Hiram College uh, in in a few years in in Ohio, uh, often uh, taught his students and talked, and he was president before he was the age of 30. Um, There is nothing that we cannot learn. 
these were these were days in which uh, Darwin was was writing, and and Garfield said, "We don't have to be afraid of Darwin. We don't have to be afraid of science. Christians are not anti-science. Uh, uh, what we learn from science comes from God. What we learn from from Scripture comes from God. Faith and science are are a part of conversation we we need to have. We, there is nothing that we cannot talk about." There is no subject that we cannot study. That goes all the way back uh, to to uh, to the beginning of of the movement. Um, and for me, I think that that says something about what our congregations, uh, whatever uh, the sign says outside our our church, can can become. If we can't talk about stuff, if we can't talk about things we disagree with, there's not going to be much of a future. We don't have to agree. We don't have to come to an agreement before all is said and done, but but there are some hard conversations that we have to talk about. Churches have to talk about women in leadership. They have to. They have to come to grips with it. We may differ from what we believe Scripture says. We're going to have to talk about uh, LGBTQ uh, issues. We have to. Uh, we're surrounded by it, and we can't just put our head in the sound. Uh, uh, that's not to say that there's this outcome or that outcome that we have to come to. We can disagree on those matters. There ought to be no subject under the sun. Uh, what does uh, Stephen say? Uh, or in the outer space or the metaphysical realm that we cannot talk about uh, as, a, as a church, and we can do so in a way in which we all hold to the authority of scripture and we all hold to the, to the sacredness of the, of, of the other individuals and know that God is living in others and they can be loved and affirmed and encouraged even when we disagree. Um, and, and, um, and that also is a part of our DNA and one that, that would be really, really helpful uh, right now as our churches are in such massive decline. I grew up uh, hearing the words of Isaiah, come, let us reason together. That's in our DNA, that, that verse, that passage. It often meant, uh, come to us and we'll reason with you and, uh, and persuade you that our way is the right way. But, but there's great thought there that we we have within us this capacity to have conversations and to talk about scripture and to not bind on one another. Um, what, what scripture clearly doesn't bind and boy, there's a lot, lot to that. You wrote is another part of our, our resources that we already have in our possession uh, that we can be an apocalyptic people, a, a holy people, a Christian counterculture formed and nourished by God's Spirit, serving the world with grace and pointing the way to Jesus, living the day with God's end in mind. Help us to understand a little bit more about what you mean by being an apocalyptic people and a people nourished by God's Spirit. Yeah, uh, we often use the word apocalyptic simply to mean, you know, they, they, uh, when the end uh, comes. But apocalypse just you know, simply means uh, something hidden or or uh, revelation, uh, including the book of 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 Revelation. Uh, but to talk about us being an apocalyptic people in 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 the revelation sense is to live today with the end times 
in mind. It's not just living today so that one day we'll go to heaven. Uh, we're going to do all the work we're supposed to do today and we're going to earn our brownie points and then we're going to cash in those brownie points at the end of time and then God's going to grant us the heaven that we deserve. It's just not. It's not, it's not that. We, we won't deserve it and, and, and we don't. It is, it is living today in view of, of God's glorious uh, end. It is, it is being God's people today uh, in the way that God is calling us to be God's people uh, uh, at, at the culmination of, of all things. Uh, you know, the, the language that, uh, that Stone used was the language of holiness. And his call to be a, a distinct people was not to be distinct in the sense that we, we are the only uh, church and all the other churches are wrong. It is to live distinctly in relation to the, to the, the, the values of the world around us, to, to, be, to be holy, uh, to live as a contrast community, not to live as a fortress not to build walls up uh, around ourselves, but to live in the world without being uh, of uh, the world. We have an opportunity today to, to be that kind of, of, of people in, in a world in which uh, we, we can't listen to the news or, or go to our social media uh, news feed uh, or, or have conversations or read a book without feeling the pressure to, to take a stand against people, against what they stand for, what that party stands for, what, what, what those kinds of people do and think and, and, and feel. We can be today a contrast community to that. We can live today with the end in mind when God is going to call all of God's children together into God's uh, presence and, and God's kingdom and to share in a, in a holy banquet uh, together. And we won't be arguing about politics then and there. Uh, we're going to embrace people with whom we disagreed here and now. And I think we, we are called and empowered by God to be that kind of people now. We can be now what God has called us to be uh, in, in our forever uh, our presence. Um, and if we, if we lived that way, you know, if we were that kind of holy people, if we, if we looked uh, for what's, what's most positive, what's most enlightening, what's most encouraging, what's most virtuous in others, even those ones that we find, uh, whose positions we find despicable, but if we if we see the good in them instead of seeking to tear them down, if we if we would choose to live in such a way that we don't have winners and losers on every issue, um, I think God might redeem this people of His into something really glorious. God gives us the opportunity to be to be holy, uh, to be holy here and now, and um, and I think now. Uh, is a desperate time uh, to live in such a way that God can bring into fruition the things that God has called us to be in the first place and that God will ensure will be uh, when God calls all of us into his own.
there was one image that continues to come up for me, and that was in your epilogue. You talked about us turning our cup over. Mm-hmm. And instead of me saying what what that is, will you share with our listeners what it what it would look like for us to turn our cup over? Lisa and I uh, went to a uh, a uh, uh, John Michael Talbot uh, concert uh, a number of years ago. Uh, we like uh, John Michael's uh, music; it's uh, it's it's moving uh, to us. And one of the things that uh, that uh, John Michael said at the at the concert, he said, you know, the 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 Greek word for uh, repentance is metanoia. It's one of the first words I learned when I when I studied uh, Greek. But he said we we think of of metanoia of, of repentance as turning around. Uh, we'll talk about it as making a hundred and eighty degree turn. I was going east and now I go west. I was living in sin and I'm going to turn now to to righteousness. And then the way we've often talked about repentance. Um, uh, it's something that you do. You do it on the way to baptism. But once you've done it, then you've done it. That's something that you did a long time ago. I, I believed, and then I repented, and then I confessed, and then I was baptized, etc. Uh, you know, John Michael said, uh, you know, repentance is not just going one way and turning around, going uh, uh, another way. That 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 misses the blessing that repentance is. He said it is like. We have a cup in our hands. And in our selfishness, in our self-centeredness, we're walking around uh, uh, the world with our cup upside down. And God is surrounding us. God is drenching us. God is covering us with his grace. Uh, we are we are inundated with blessing. Uh moment after moment and all that God is doing and and we're whining well I don't have anything I don't I don't have anything in my cup and John Michael said uh, this is this is the moment of repentance turn your cup over it's not about willing ourselves to be right when we've been wrong it is about recognizing that we have nothing and that God has everything. And he is, God is determined to give it to us. God is determined to, 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 to uh, uh, fill us with, with abundance that is beyond our imagination. And if we don't have it, if we don't receive it, it's because we've chosen to live with our cup upside down. Um. I think our call is to is to turn our our, our cup uh, over. You know the, the the closing words of of the book uh, reflect that that image that our own story is a story of God's great blessings and of God's great resources. We are still that people. We know the way home. Today, even in our brokenness in our fears and discouragement, in our squabbles and disputes, in the confidence we have placed in our own ability to figure things out and do things right, when we aren't seeking it or even know we need it, 
God is raining down upon us a roaring, restoring, extravagant, glorious, life-giving, peace-pursuing, future-changing, blood-drenched, spirit-soaked, cloudburst of grace. For Christ's sake, turn your cup over. Powerful. Jack, what a blessing it's been to have these these conversations with you. I I found in reading your book, um, certain things just make your heart hurt. And yet I think out of pain, we realize something's wrong that needs to be healed. So sometimes it's good to hurt a bit and have our hearts broken uh, so that we can find the prescription for how to, how to be healed. And we have a God who's a great healer. I love your, your candidness, your honesty with where we are, and then your hopefulness and your love for these people of God of, of whom you're a part. And so appreciate what you've written and so appreciate these conversations. Um, it's been just a short time since the book was released what kind of feedback have you been getting? What kind of things are making you hopeful? Well, it, uh, I've been encouraged. I've heard from uh, a number of folks, the folks I was writing to. I, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy if the scholars read it, but that's not who I wrote it uh, for. That there are, there are church folks out there, uh, godly women and, and men, um, who are feeling some of the, the, the desperation that you feel when you're afraid you're going to die. When, when you feel like that the church you've always known is, uh, is just going to go under. And, um, and, and I, I think that there are enough evidences of God's grace uh, among us that um, uh, grabbing a hold of, of, uh, of the graces that we experience um, is, a, is, is encouraging. And when we can share those with others, then we, we build others up. And those are the things that, that I'm beginning to hear and, and, um, and may God be glorified for that. Amen. Well, the book, once again, for those listening, is At the Blue Hole, Elegy for a Church on the Edge. Jack Reese is the author, and uh, it's on Erdman's Publishing. Pick up a copy. Let this uh, book form conversation in your own uh, church community. And we're all... I, we're all reaching out to grab onto that grace that God has for us and that hopeful future. Uh, Tina, so good to be with you. Uh, Jack, one of the questions we always ask our guests before we leave, we, we believe unity starts with a cup of coffee, and that's simply saying that it's, it's, it starts with relationships and building bridges to people with whom we might be estranged, or maybe we just haven't taken the time to get to know them. So we always encourage our listeners, go get a cup of coffee with somebody in this Stone Campbell movement or, or just believers at large. If we were to get with you in San Antonio, if Tian and I were to come and sit down with you and have a cup of coffee, uh, how do you take your coffee? Uh, with my wife, I take it with cream and sugar. We have Brazilian coffee every morning, and mm -hmm. we always take it with cream and sugar. When I'm um, uh, at the office alone, I just drink it black. Gotcha. <laughs> I love that accommodation to your wife. See, you're a unity builder. Listen to that. That's just great. Well, 
Folks, we look forward to being back with you next week. Jack, we hope you'll come back again sometime in the future for some further discussions. We look to more that you'll be writing in the future as well, Lord willing. Um, Join us again next week, folks. We're going to continue these conversations based in Ecclesiastes 3.3, a time to tear down and a time to build up. Join us. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you can't find a gathering in your area, we can help you start one. It's not difficult or time-consuming, and we'll help you out along the way. It really does simply start with a cup of coffee. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.